selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. This week's episode has been a long time coming. I reckon I spoke to director Todd Haynes well before Christmas. His latest film, Wonderstruck, received a three-minute standing ovation at last year's Cannes Film Festival, and I've been desperate to share our chat ever since. Well, the moment has come as Wonderstruck finally gets an official UK release, though you may have already been lucky enough to see it on Amazon. I'm Edith Bowman, and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast about screen music with some of the biggest names in the business. Based on the best-selling novel by Brian Selznick, who also wrote the screenplay, Wonderstruck intertwines two stories set 50 years apart about children Rose and Ben, both of whom are on quest to find their parents. In a novel twist, Rose's story plays out as a black-and-white silent movie, which presented various challenges for composer Carter Burwell. More on that shortly, as well as music from Todd's other work, including The Velvet Goldmine, I'm Not There, Carol, and Far From Heaven. But we begin with the background to Wonderstruck, accompanied by extracts from Carter's ephemeral score. Todd, welcome to Soundtracking. Can I start off by saying congratulations on Wonderstruck? It's so beautiful. Kind of welling up thinking about it, to be honest, because it is just like nothing else I've seen. Thank you. I I did feel, when I read the script and then I went back and read Brian's book, I was like, this is absolutely and utterly unique. However it comes out, it'll be something no one's ever seen before. And I thought, I think maybe this could be, actually could be something that younger audiences could and should have access to. When you read the book and you read the script, was it very clear to you how you would bring it to life visually? It was clear that both stories offered a specific but profound wealth of references in the historical periods in which they're set, but also the cinema 
that's associated with those times. And particularly in the case of the black and white story where the little girl is obsessed with a silent screen star. So there was just so much about film and, and the visual language mm. right there. I think the thing that I didn't know or that was going to be one of the great challenges creatively was how they would interact, how the intercutting would unfold, mm -hmm. how music would distinguish but also join and reflect back upon the other story. perfectly in that respect where, I mean, Carter's done an amazing job on the score on this. It surprises, it comforts, mm -hmm. it travels with you. There, mm -hmm. there are so many uses of the score within this yeah. film. I imagine the conversations with him must have started quite early on they with did. this. But you're absolutely right. <laughs> and it would need, it, for something like this, it would have needed to. And I wanted Carter to be thinking about it before we started shooting the film. I wanted my sound designer, Leslie Schatz, to be thinking about it before we were shooting. I wanted my sound recorders who was going to be on set collecting sound, even for the silent part of the film, to be thinking about it and to just collect more stuff than we'd ever think we'd yeah. use, just in case it filtered into some strange sound design that was going to be abstract or something that we could derive sound from other sounds or something. Yeah. And I just wanted the freedom, the palette to play just at the sonic level. So yeah, we all took that to heart and started to think about it. The most remarkable thing about the score is that I've never made a movie where this was as true. Uh, and this was all, so much due to Alfonso Gonsalves, my editor, his genius, is that we realized very quickly that you couldn't even put two of the black and white shots together without music to know how the silent film would work without dialogue and if it would work. So before we did anything with the picture, we had to score the film with temp music. Imagine how much music we yeah. had to pull out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. to just try and go, oh no, it's not gonna work. Did but you go back to that era of the silent movies to use that for temp at all? Or? We did all of it, mm -hmm. but mm, I'd say most of the temp music was not. It was more contemporary mm -hmm. composers, but who had symphonic element or sort of classical kind of approach, yeah. you know? Some of the great scores of the silent era, Prokofiev or whatever, are very specific and very, mm. or the kind of tinkly pianos that gets a little bit. And the organs. Yeah, the it. organs, which we do. <laughs> yeah, which you do. We, we do feature in the yeah, film. Yeah, wonderful. Con in context.
whole film was built on the foundation of a temp track that was almost an hour and a half in length. And then it was like, here, Carter. <laughs> Go to okay, town, no. dude. Yeah. It was basically like taking a you know, four-story house with a foundation and asking somebody to remove the foundation of the house and not disrupt the structure and replace it from scratch, which wow. does happen, which people do do in their homes. I, I actually might have to do that to my house. That's why I bring it up. But, um, but it was hard, and it was an enormous amount of work. And I think one of the hardest things about bringing coherent themes to a temp track, which is usually bits and bobs, is only going to be a strengthening element and it was to a large degree, but what it sometimes would do was almost overstate things that the temp track was doing mm -hmm. with a lighter touch. And that I think was the biggest challenge, was to have that much music enter and exit the film that many times throughout the film when it was appropriate, but not to make, it, make you be like, oh my God, here comes another cue. Yeah. I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to hear that theme again. Yeah. You know, so that was really what was challenging. With the different sort of eras that the film's set in, there are obviously different themes around those, but I love how they're not specific to those decades as well, where no. you play with that, which I think is so important, and it helps that weave between those stories as well, I think. Right. I mean, there's absolutely moments of lyrical, symphonic music. Yeah. Never a massive orchestra. It's always sort of in scale to mm. the smaller scale subjects of our story. And then there's places that are interesting with like where we used a rag piano that links the two stories where the kids are on their way to the museum, getting closer to the museum. And it's, it's around the time that Ben first bumps into Jamie. Jamie yeah.
rag piano, which is of course Joplin style piano, absolutely from the 1920s, was also something that became very fashionable in the 1970s after the sting. And all of a sudden, I think some Joplin was in the top 10 of the charts, <laughs> the entertainer, because of the sting. So it was a really funny moment mm -hmm. where music from the 20s had a meaning in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. It also had a slightly innocent quality that was right for the characters of these kids. Percussion is another place where I think he has a sensitivity to something that's specific to childhood. Yeah. A sort of innocence, a lightness, a pleasurable playfulness mm -hmm. that he really foregrounds. talked about when they're getting to the museum but I love that where they're exploring the museum at night with the two of them Ben and Jamie and you know that's a kind of timeless scene I think as well you know it could be kids in the 20s it could be my sure. kids now kind of thing yeah, yeah. having that dream of being set free in a museum at yeah. night that playfulness of that scene and the music that's within that is really beautiful it's a really fun scene to watch
I love as well when he walks out into 1970s New York. Yeah. It's yes, it's almost yeah. yeah. It's what a great choice. Yeah. So good. Yeah. It's my partner Brian. He picked the cue from Car Wash, the Norman Whitfield, yeah. and the boys run by the fire, the kids playing in the fire, yeah. hydrant, and that amazing piece of music. Wow. That is just not overplayed, not mm-hmm. overly well known, but puts you right there. And it's spare. The arrangement is mm-hmm. so fantastic. It's I really nearly cool. got up and danced. <laughs> on the street, the summer heat. Boys playing games, changing their names, pulling tricks, getting their kicks. Check it out. Trying everything now. Gotta check it out. Somebody said, You wanna blow? <laughs> Why not? I ain't got no place to go. Meeting the stars in funky bones. Shiny cars and backdoor locks. Trying to hype for any other type of ride. And choosing music within the narrative was really clever and I love the, you know, the vinyl and that relationship between music that those characters have of yeah. putting something on and listening together sort of thing and right. choosing that sweet track as well. Yeah. I'm trying to give credit where credit is due. That <laughs> Take was, the that credit, Todd. <laughs> that was Brian Selznick's partner, David, oh, wow. who wanted to have the sweet song in there. I love the sweet. Yeah. The sweet's in my film, Velvet Goldmine. <laughs> yeah. But that was a really cool moment. And of course, it's also a moment, once again, that reveals intimacy mm-hmm. and also deafness. And Jamie puts on the record, and then he goes, uh. And Ben's like, no, no, it's cool. I can feel it. Space Oddity early in the film. Yeah. Was it easy to get clearance on that track, on the Bowie track? Finally. After my entire career. <laughs> You've been trying. No to. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, no. We, I, for Velvet Goldmine, I had, I had a lot more Bowie in the script. Yeah. Um, I think there were like seven or nine songs. And I know the movie is better without it mm-hmm. because it was almost too literal, too. Too reliant too on it. Mimetic in a way. Yeah. yeah. And that it gave space for songs that were lesser known. Mm-hmm. 
Roxy Music and Brian Eno yeah. and you know Steve Harley, Cockney Rebel, like stuff that's very little known in the United States, and the opportunity for Tom York to sing the Roxy Music yes. songs in the soundtrack, like you know bringing Britpop into play with the seventies mm. era. But still, it was, it was mostly out of a kind of protectiveness on Bowie's part or maybe, you know, feeling some ambivalence about the script itself yeah. that was a little sad. I was like, oh, this is my Valentine to David Bowie and maybe he thinks I'm being too <laughs> arch or something or, you know. I think he would love this. I really do. I think it's just it's worth waiting for in the way that you've Thank used you. it in this, definitely. Ground control to Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Sing countdown engines on Check ignition and may God's love be with you
When Rose, grown-up Rose, walks to the bookshop as well, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah, the Diodato. Yeah. Really just... Again, Brian, I'm, I'm not going to steal credits. <laughs> uh, you can tell. I'm, wow, you're I'm, really generous I'm with your... I'm quite generous. <laughs> I so appreciate my <laughs> partnerships. Um, but that is uh, this jazz funk band, Diodato, mm -hmm. that covered the Rickard Strauss... Also, Spark of Zarathustra, that's from 2001, yeah. that we all know from 2001. That's kind of a joke on 2001 when it came out in 76 or something. Mm -hmm. And then it was used by Hal Ashby in the movie Being There, when Peter Sellers finally leaves his internment living in the strand as a gardener. He steps out on the street of Manhattan, <laughs> and that music plays. Brian put it in the script, I thought, is it too many little 70s nudges? And most directors like want to make all the last decisions <laughs> yeah. about source music themselves. <laughs> they don't want the screenwriter to do it. And, you know, we got to that scene and I was like, we got to try Diodata. And it just felt absolutely earned and delightful. And again, as a film structured like a mystery, it was the turning point. The black mm. and white story had resolved and it just felt like it was it worked. And then, you know, as a sort of side joke, Space Oddity is a joke on Space Odyssey. Yeah. And Diodato is a joke on Space Odyssey <laughs> from the Rickard Strauss, but turning it into a jazz funk version yeah. for the true nerds <laughs> out there. 
You mentioned about the, the screenplay for, for Velvet Goldmine and you had Bowie written in his cues within that. When you're writing the film, do you always include music within the, the screenplay if there's music as part of it? Yes. When it's something as explicitly about the music as Velvet Goldman was, about yeah. the glam era, and particularly the Bob Dylan film, I'm yeah. not there, where uh, sort of the different genres of his music and periods of his life were channeled into almost these separate vials of character and sensibility played out by these very different characters. Six yeah. different characters, one of them in a double role. Yes, the music becomes the way the narrative is structured and how it's communicated. Sometimes it's not even my favorite Dylan songs. Yeah. I think Ballad of a Thin Man is a great song. Mm -hmm. It's a great song. I mean, there's so many amazing Bob Dylan songs. It's not necessarily my absolutely favorite, but it is absolutely seminal. It is yeah. just a narrative piece of his life and story that has to be utilized as a conveyor yeah. of a narrative fragment in the film, and it was. You walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked in you. You say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand. Just what you will say when you get home Because something is happening here But you don't know what it is Do you, Mr. Jones? It's such a, a great example of, of how brilliantly I imagine that those songs, like you say, they told you the parts of those stories that you wanted to tell almost, you know, through yeah. th through the lyrics or through his presence or, or, you know, where he was at that time sort of thing. Very much. They, they become almost templates. They become like little narrative structures under themselves or little short stories mm. or sequences of scenes or whatever, you know, like little cul-de-sacs of information that reduce down and economize the, sh the storytelling process, but in the best way, because yeah. it's through music. Uh, so it feels completely enjoyable and rhythmic and melodic. Yeah. <clears throat> you got a favorite Dylan song? Uh, that's a hard one, just <laughs> yeah. to say Today one. Today it would be? I mean, I guess uh, it's like that thing, isn't it, where you have a different one every day to you have a different one every day, feel. and then yeah. you can't even remember what <laughs> yeah. one it would be today. I'll say Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. It's just one of the most epic extraordinary songs. It's maybe too long to play on your show, but you can play some of it. We can it's play a whole some side of, of Blonde on Blonde. With your mercury mouth In the missionary times And your eyes like smoke And your prayers like rhymes And your silver cross and your voice like chimes Oh, who do they think could bury you With your pockets well protected at last And your street car visions Which you place on the grass and your flesh like silk And your face like glass Who could they get to carry you? Say 
appreciate or be flattered by the idea, although it's absolutely essential to the story of Dylan, to be told in multiple. Yeah. To not be reduced down to a single character with a single character arc and a moment of revelation. Oh, that's who I am and that's why I'm this way or whatever, which is sort of what the biopic does. Yeah. This was like, no, there's six or seven people here and that's just in the 1960s and they're all fighting each other and they're all disagreeing with each other and they're kind of unwriting each other mm -hmm. in succession. Yeah. You know, and that's, that describes the complexity of life, how we change, how we differ and how somebody of that remarkable creative output also survived just the pressure of his success because you kind of have to say, I can't fulfill the expectations that I've set up. At this moment, I have to betray my following and go in totally. a completely different direction and then I have creative freedom to the, invent something new. The integrity of the man in terms of being true to himself and who he was yeah. or is as an artist and wanted to be and the way he wanted to progress. Yeah. For him, it's why his music's so important Endures. and still I mean, I don't yeah. think he would survive without being able to create all the mm -hmm. time and sometimes that took almost a hostility not just toward what he'd done previously or negation of it, but a hostility toward the, the intense affixing of expectations that his fan base yeah. would sometimes uh, generate. Oh, I don't belong to her, I don't belong to Enterprise, she's my prize for singing angel, but you don't hear me cry. She's a long-hearted mystic, and she ain't carry on when I'm Gorgeous, gorgeous Thank film. You. And a brilliant example of a film that has the most exquisite score, again, Carter.
but wonderful needle drops and contemporary music yeah. that are so important yeah. to the story as well that are yeah. part of the narrative sometimes and sometimes not yeah was that uh, an example of conversation with carter beforehand and then deciding on those tracks of what would be were they written in the script uh once again except for the billy holiday which is scripted and in the narrative itself yeah and i believe is even in patricia highsmith's book the, the novel. i'm pretty sure it is other than that it's a process I usually undergo just for my own sort of psyching up to an era that I'm, a, a story I'm telling where I just want to surround myself with the popular music of the time yeah. and just have it playing constantly and hearing it constantly and uh, as I'm writing and researching. And I often share these collections with Carter because even if nothing that he's doing in the score is going to directly do an arrangement of a popular song or anything like that, just the kinds of ins instrumentation that characterize this era versus that mm. can be informative and trigger ideas that are specific. Once again, in Carol, this was Brian O'Keefe, my partner, who has this encyclopedic knowledge of music, and really, he did just this amazing job he put together, and he did this for Wonderstruck. Playlist after playlist after playlist, like the first 70s playlist for Wonderstruck was about six hours long <laughs> of popular music from the 70s, and it wasn't the obvious stuff. Yeah. It was obscure stuff from the 70s. Yeah. And from that, in Carol, Fonzie and I, my editor, just picked source music for different scenes. Some of it, because the budget was a lot smaller than Wonderstruck, we couldn't afford. But we did everything we possibly could to get deals and packages and blah, 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 and get them in there. What was nice about the music in Carol, and this is true also in films I made, and I really love to do this, when a song is playing in a source in a scene, like on a record player yeah. or on a radio, most people today will just use the digital track and mix it, muffle it down, can it, so it sounds like it's coming out of a small speaker. We literally find a room that's about the size of the room in the scene, yeah. play it out of a speaker, and record it with a mic. Oh, so wow. it has the natural reverberations and distortions that occur in a room. It's called worldizing. That's amazing. And we did it for Mildred Pierce, we did it for Carol, we did it for Wonderstruck. And it's one more thing my sound designer is as nerdy as I am and <laughs> meticulous and creative. Yeah. And this is something we love to do. And Carter's music editor, Todd Cassow, gets really into this too. lucky enough to record his last score with Elmer Bernstein mm. as well for Far From Heaven. What a wonderful experience to be able to do that. It really, it was such a wonderful experience because, I mean, that is a that is a bit of movie history and music scoring history that, that is one of a kind. That's sort of been the, you know, handful of five or ten greatest composers that ever lived. And over his years, Elmer Bernstein composed every conceivable genre of film and 
and yet never really did the melodrama, the domestic drama that he did in Far From Heaven, his last film. Uh, he was known for like those cool jazz scores, uh, Man With Golden Arm and, and Blackboard Jungle from the beginning of his career. And I think he, Trading Places is one of my favorites. Oh, but he, see, he did everything though. <laughs> but he really did, he did everything. Yeah. You know, but remained that same person, that same smart, intellectual, lefty, just a really profoundly inspiring person to know. And we got really close in a really short amount of time at the end of his life. And he had such cynicism for Oscars and Oscar campaigns. Elmer had been nominated countless times for Oscars. Everyone must have thought he had a shelf of Oscars. Mm -hmm. He'd only won an Oscar for additional music to Thoroughly Modern Millie in his career. And he was nominated for Far From Heaven as his last film. He didn't know it would be his last film. And uh, I saw him start to want it again and to actually have an Oscar party, you know, Oscar member party in Santa Barbara where he lives. Just because he loved the movie and he loved the experience and he believed in it. And it, it was doing better and drawing a wider audience <laughs> than he would have thought. And then he was winning prizes and then at the Golden Globe Awards and went to Frida, the movie Frida. And then he lost the Oscar. And I just, this is where I just, ha I have such contempt for the Oscars and for the, the award season because it tricks you into so caring. Cool. You know, it just diminishes why we do what we do. It distorts it all. But I just saw it in his eyes, you know, the disappointment. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's not fair to make this brilliant Dined artist. Dined in the car Exactly. I feel bad that we have to end on this. <laughs> it's oh God. slightly what negative. Is... But I think that the the negative outlook of not winning that is completely outshone by right. how much people love that film and the people that really matter. Yeah. No, I feel like my films have had this, maybe especially when they're a little ahead of their time or a little outside of the, the moment that they actually have a chance and a life that far precedes that moment, you know, and uh, and live on, which is great. Todd, thank you so much thank for your time. You. It's been such a pleasure. Likewise, Congratulations on Wonderstruck. Lovely thank to you. meet you. Thank Thanks you. so much.
from Elmer Bernstein's Oscar nominated score to Far From Heaven, that's Autumn in Connecticut, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with director Todd Haynes. My huge thanks to Todd for taking the time to talk to us. Wonderstruck has a cinematic release in the UK now and is available on Amazon elsewhere. You can get Carter Burwell's score meanwhile via our good friends at Lakeshore Records. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous guests and find links to Spotify playlists of the music featured. And please, if you can, subscribe and rate us on your preferred podcast provider. That's if you get a moment. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK too. Next up then, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. We were lucky enough to put on a special screening of Alex Garland's Annihilation. Following the screening, we sat down with Alex and his composers, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. Next week, you're going to hear the results of that chat. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 